following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our speaker, Dr. Jerry Root. My wife Elizabeth and I first met Dr. Root about seven years ago when he was teaching a series of classes titled C.S. Lewis, The Man Behind the Narnian Chronicles. Dr. Root is a Lewis scholar, one of the foremost authorities in the world on Lewis, and he travels the globe uh, lecturing about Lewis. However, Lewis is the means and not the end. Uh, It is his hope uh, that his audience will use Lewis's writings to point to Jesus. Dr. Root grew up in L.A., uh, attended Whittier College, and did his master's from Talbot and his Ph.D. from Oxford University. He is professor of evangelism at Wheaton and a visiting faculty at Biola University and Talbot Theological Seminary. He's an author of uh, several books. One of them is titled The Sacrament of Evangelism. Uh, He lives with his wife, Claudia, in Wheaton, and they have four children and 13 grandchildren. We are very happy that Claudia is with us this morning in joining worship. In recent months, I've come to know Dr. Root a little better, and I've been struck by his humility and his generosity. I can say that he actually delights to give. Above all, he cares about people and in sharing Jesus with them. Uh, Jesus did say that the fields were ready for the harvest, but the workers were few. Uh, Dr. Root is one who first and foremost works to bring the kingdom here on earth by sharing Jesus with people he meets, be it the woman on the plane next to him, uh, the garbage man in his neighborhood, or the person he meets at Union Station. He shares Jesus and wins people to Christ. And he says, evangelizing is great fun. We have much to learn from him. Please join me in giving a very warm welcome to Dr. Jerry Root. You were very kind, Jacob. I I hope you didn't get that information from the CIA or the FBI. Um, I am really grateful to be here with Jacob and Elizabeth. They have spoken so well of you many times to me, and I'm grateful that I could be here and see firsthand what God is doing in this community. And I do long to share with you about how to share our faith and to encourage you along that line. Um, I want to draw my remarks from just one verse of the Bible. I am taking it from the NIV 1984. It's Philemon 6, one verse. I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. The single Greek word that's translated full understanding here is the most intimate word for knowledge used in the New Testament. There's a level of intimacy that eludes us if we are missing out on the great opportunities God brings in our way because he wants to use us to love other people to himself. 
But let's begin with the word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I worship you that on this Mother's Day we can be here encouraging people as to how they might be involved in helping others come to new birth in you. I pray, Father, recognizing that what I have to offer to these people is not much more than crumbs. But when Andrew brought not much more than crumbs to your son, he took that bread and those fish and multiplied them so that the multitude was satisfied. I pray that you would take my offering this morning and that your Holy Spirit in a similar manner would take what is said and apply it to the heart of each individual who is here, that each one might hear something whereby she or he would say, God spoke to me today. And we would know that it was you who had been active because you love us so much. You want us to hear your word. You want us to respond to it. And you want us to see what great things you desire to do in us and through us. We thank you for the words of your son who said if we abide in him, we would bear fruit and that apart from him, we could do nothing. Encourage us along those lines, I pray, this morning to the glory of Christ in whose name we pray, amen. Um, last night I was on a, a, a limo coming home. My wife and I had been out in California with some other Wheaton College professors on a writing retreat. And in the limo coming back from the airport to our home, um, I had a chance to share briefly with the uh, driver of the limousine. Oftentimes I'm able to do this. And he was a Muslim. But as we talked, I found out that there was a Christian family who loved on him and his family. And he was starting to go to church with them, and he had celebrated Christmas with them, and they are engaged in constant conversation. These people are all around us, people who want to know, and if we lean into the opportunities, we get to share. I was on an airplane not long ago. I was coming back from a theology conference where I had read a paper. I sat on the window seat. And a few minutes later, a man came and sat next to me in the middle seat, and he said, rats, I've got a middle seat. Now, if I was as generous as Jacob said, I would have given him my seat at that moment, but I did not. And then just a moment later, a man comes and sits on the aisle seat, and he says, Professor Root. I said, you've got the drop on me. I'm afraid I don't know you. And he said, I was at the paper you read at the theology conference. So the two of us are talking, and I've got a guy in the middle seat. So I said to the man in the middle seat, please forgive me, we were at a theology conference, we don't mean to talk over you, please feel free to be a part of this conversation. In a few minutes, I turned to the young man in the middle and I said, what's your name? He said, Sean, and I said, Sean, are you a spiritual person? And he said, I am, I am. I said, tell me about that. He said, I went and studied with a shaman in Peru one time. Don't ever be afraid if something sounds a little new agey, if it sounds a little bit goofy. Um, A person who expresses spiritual hunger um, and is not a materialist is closer to anything we would share than the person who has believed that there is no supernatural and so on. And so I said, Sean, tell me about it. He said, I saved up my money. I found out I could study with the shaman. I saved up my vacation. I went for three weeks and studied with this guy. I said, how'd that go for you, Sean? He said, it was the worst money I ever spent in my life. (laughs) So I said to him, Sean, listen, I'm curious, though. Um, 
because he had asked me in response, what's in it for you, Jerry? And I said, you know, bottom line for me, I, I believe anybody who's lived a moment of honest life longs to be loved unconditionally. Human love is great as far as it goes. I don't think I've ever been loved perfectly by another human being. And the reason why I suspect that is because I know I haven't ever loved anybody perfectly. But we still long to be loved unconditionally. And I think if we've lived on this life, it's moving to us when we hear that the God of the universe loves us like that. Plus, I don't know a person, I said to Sean, who's lived a moment of honest life who fails to recognize they're messed up. We live by such high ideals, and yet we fall short of them constantly. I believe in the high ideal of love, but I've had sharp words with people I say I love most in the world. And when we see these incongruities in our life, it's so precious to us to hear that the God who loves us also forgives us, and not only that, wants to enter into our life as Lord to bring some sort of order out of the chaos we've made of things. Sean goes, that's the most comforting thing I've ever heard in my life. I said, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to respond to that right now? He said, none. 15 minutes within the flight, he's praying, inviting Christ into his life. The guy who's sitting on the aisle, he was a grad student working on his PhD at Trinity Seminary in apologetics. He's used to building scaffolding to defend the faith. He wasn't so used to obstetrics. (laughs) And right before him, he was seeing somebody born again something that all of us should be reminded of on a Mother's Day, that we could participate in this kind of activity. And this man on the aisle, this Trinity grad student, turned to Sean and loved him for the rest of the flight, sharing with him ways he could grow in his newfound faith. And it was so much fun. I do not have the gift of evangelism. I have it as a high value as every Christian should. I I talked to a pastor one time. He says, oh, Jerry, we really encourage the people with the gift of evangelism at our church to do it. I said, really, I'd love to come speak at your church so I could tell all the people that don't have the gift of giving, they don't have to give anymore at that church. (laughs) And I don't want to go to the church where only the people with the gift of mercy are kind and merciful towards one another. That would be a cold-hearted place. No, certain people have aptitudes for certain gifts, but all of us are to engage in these gifts in the scriptures. And so I want to talk to the people who are here who are like me, who maybe don't have the gift, who, who maybe sometimes have a little fear and some intimidation, and have maybe had to learn from their mistakes. You're the people I want to talk to. The people that have the gift, we want to encourage them to teach us what they've been learning. But, but they're already doing it naturally. But I want to talk to the ones who are like me. It was Dawson Trotman who founded the Navigators and set up the follow-up program for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association who preached a sermon once called Born to Reproduce. He said a person is physiologically mature when they could reproduce physiologically. And so too a person is spiritually mature when that person can reproduce spiritually. God has called us to help people be born again. Mothers do it in the physical world, but all of us can participate in this activity in the world that God has placed us. Um, And so we get to this verse again. 
I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. Somehow, this text links our own spiritual development to sharing faith. That somehow, too, we see that the mature Christian is a person who wants to see others come to faith. It's not so that the church can swell in its roles. It's not so that we could have more giving units in the church. The reason why we share our faith is because the world needs to know that they are loved by God and that forgiveness is available to them. And they can be reconciled to him and begin to grow and see him bring order out of the chaos of their life. Well, how will you grow? I suppose we could talk about thousands of ways, but I just want to look at three this morning, and then I want to give you um, uh, some examples of how this might be applied. Uh, I think first we will grow because people will ask us questions if we share our faith. I I didn't become a Christian until I was in college. I grew up in a church. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. We attended a church, but I never heard the gospel there. I remember being told in Sunday school that if I went to a movie and Jesus came back, I'd go straight to hell. I desperately wanted to see Walt Disney's The Shaggy Dog, but didn't know if it was worth risking my eternal destiny to go see. When the neighbor lady, Mrs. Greenlee, came down and asked my mom if my brothers and I could go with her boys, it happened just like this. I'm not embellishing it. I looked at my mom with ambivalence. I wanted to go on one hand, was scared stiff on the other, and when my mom said we could go watch the shaggy dog, I began to doubt that she really loved me, that she'd put my life in such (laughs) eternal peril. I was told in a Sunday school class, if I lived a holy and righteous life all my life, but had one bad thought the last second of my life, I'd go straight to hell. And what I deduced as a boy is if I could lose this based on my behavior i had to earn it based on my behavior and i never saw how the gospel worked in that equation i never knew that it was all contingent upon what god did for me i i thought i was going to hell so i thought okay there's nothing i could do about it i was always in trouble i lived a pretty wild life and then i go to college And my older brother was a Christian, and he took me to a campus meeting of Christians at my college. And for the first time in my life, I heard clearly that God loved me, and he forgave me. And I have never stopped being grateful for that great good news. And I started sharing my faith just because I thought people would want to know this. Well, what happened was people started asking me questions. I had no clue about the answer to these questions. And I I confess it with embarrassment that before I became a Christian, I never once asked the question, if God's good and all-powerful, why does evil exist in the universe? Never even crossed my mind. I've since written a book on that topic. It's fascinating to me. I've read hundreds of books on that topic. But I never asked the question, but when I started sharing my faith, the people I was sharing with, they asked the question, and I was able to say to them, it's a really good question. The questions they asked were not conversation stoppers. They weren't threats. 
It was an opportunity for me to say, I'll get back to you on that. Let me go dig and see what I can find out. I don't think any of us are going to get to the absolute bottom of any of these particular questions, but we could come up with a sure word even if we don't come up with a last word, a substantive word. And I would go back and I would share with some of my friends the answers to some of the questions they were asking. How do we know the Bible is really God's word? What about other religions? What about people who have never heard? And, and, and every one of them was interesting to me. And some of them came to faith after I shared the answers. Some of them just asked more questions. I wasn't threatened by them. I was growing. And I learned to grow because I learned this whole faith was far more fascinating than I ever first imagined. I also learned not to be afraid of doubts. If, if, if you don't have any doubts at all about your faith, you're delusional. You think you've achieved omniscience. I'm, in, I'm finishing up my 47th read through the Bible. I've read the New Testament 31 times besides that, and I've almost read through the Greek Bible completely twice. Every time I read it, I see something, and I say, where was that last time I read? Have you had that experience? And every time I read it, I see something I don't understand. I'm not threatened by it. I put it in the pending tray like a scientist might do. And next time or two through the Bible, I see, oh, I get that now. If somebody says to me, oh, I've read the Bible, there's so many contradictions in it and stuff, I say, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I've been reading it for years and years, and I've seen how many of those contradictions, how many of those difficulties resolve into incredible insights. C.S. Lewis said, if our religion is objective, we must never avert our eyes from those elements in it which seem puzzling or repellent. For it's precisely in the puzzling or repellent where we learn what we do not yet know and need desperately to know. And when you share your faith, people ask these questions. It's a thrilling opportunity to grow in faith. It's also an opportunity for us to learn how to engage them in such a way that we can purge some of our obnoxiousness and we can share tenderly. Share with the recognition, yeah, these are interesting questions. And get shoulder to shoulder with them and look at the scriptures and look at Jesus and look at the glorious answers that are in the text. Well, I've kind of hinted at the second reason why we would grow. First reason, if we share our faith, people ask us questions, we get to dig for answers and we grow. Second reason, though, is that if we share our faith, people will feel it's their responsibility to scrutinize our life. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. What I found is if I share my faith, other people will feel it's their responsibility to scrutinize my life for me. I remember as a brand new Christian, I'd only been a year old in the Lord, and I prayed, Lord, discipline me. Oh, Lord, discipline me. I've never prayed that prayer since then. <laughs> the next three months were three of the worst months of my life. Everybody in my life felt like it was their responsibility to come up and tell me stuff that was screwed up with my life. I now pray, Lord, give me a soft heart, keep me from a stiff neck, and help me to learn vicariously through the mistakes of others so I won't have to go through them myself. And if you share your faith, people will hold up a mirror to you. I remember I, I, I did some stupid stuff as a new Christian. You have to take this completely by faith, but I was an athlete when I was in college. I played football and wrestled, and I shared with every guy I played football with and every guy I wrestled with every year when I was in school. We saw a lot of guys come to faith, probably 15 football players a year. Maybe 60 guys came to Jesus over those years. 
But when I first started out, there was just so much garbage in my life. And, and you know how it is as a Christian. You draw close to God. You get closer and closer to that light. And that light reveals more and more garbage in your life. And that's a grace to us. Because he wants to purge that stuff from us. But I was sharing my faith, but there were some incongruities in my life. And those friends came up to me and pointed it out. And I had to admit they were right. And I had to thank them. And I tried to grow in these areas that they had pointed out. And three of those guys, before I graduated from college, I was able to lead to Jesus because they saw I was working on this. I knew a man once who told me I would never put a Christian bumper sticker on my car. If I did, I'd have to drive better. You share your faith, it's like putting a Christian bumper sticker across your life. People want to know if it's real. And they get to see. And if they criticize you, how do you respond? People secure in the love of Jesus can hear truth about their life. To the degree that we're secure in the love of Jesus and we can hear that truth, our lives begin to adorn the message that we're sharing. And when you share your faith, you'll grow in that respect. And I think that's good and important. The other thing, too, is I I, I believe this... um, Oh, added on to that, if we are desperately aware of how much we need Jesus, that keeps the message fresh also. We're not sharing it as something that we've got it all figured out. We're sharing it as something we're growing into and we're developing in our understanding. So if you share your faith, people ask questions, you grow. You share your faith, people will scrutinize your life. By the way, maybe they're scrutinizing somebody else's life who's not there and they're taking it out on you. Have you ever had that happen before? I don't want anything to do with Christianity and it's usually because they were burned by somebody else. You know what I say to that person? Tell me your story. I listen. After I'm done listening, I say to them, that sounds really sad to me. I'm sad that happened to you. I'm a Christian. Will you let me stand as a surrogate in the place of that person who hurt you and ask your forgiveness? And the reason why I want to ask your forgiveness is I wouldn't want anything to keep you from seeing how deeply you are loved by God and how rich is his forgiveness. Third way that we'll grow is that we'll start seeing Jesus show up in our life. Actually, I don't think we see him show up as much as we show up where he's working. I had a friend of mine one time who said that he had started a church in Ohio Church grew in 10 years from 25 to 1,000. He had a businessman in his church who was on his board. My friend said he enjoyed this businessman, the times that they had talked and the times they had worked together. But the businessman said, I want you to come see my business, uh, just show you around my plant, and then afterwards we'll go to lunch and talk church business. My pastor friend said he went there and he knew he had started this company himself, but he didn't realize what a genius this guy was. The company started from scratch was a company that had employed over 500 workers. When he saw the product that they produced, when he saw the man's concern for each of the workers, hey, George, how are you? Didn't you guys win the bowling championship last night? How'd that go? Hey, Sylvia, it's good to have you back after the maternity leave. How's the baby? Did you bring some pictures? My friend said, I knew this guy at church for years, but I never really got to know him until I got to know him in his workplace. Do you see the transition? 
You can know God for years at church. You will never really get to know him till you get to know him in his workplace. He had said there are people out there that want to hear. Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. He said there aren't enough people that want to go out and work in that harvest and get to know him in the workplace. So how do you do that? Well, I've discovered that you can go and ask people public questions. Those aren't threatening. What's your name? It's a public question. I saw a man once in Chicago, and I said, what's your name? He said, Peter. I said, Peter, are you from Chicago? He's in Chicago. It's not an intrusive question. Are you from Chicago? He said, no, actually, I grew up in Albuquerque, but when my parents divorced when I was 12, I moved to Chicago with my mother. He didn't have to tell me all that. You ask the question and listen. In the answer, oftentimes, will come permission to go deeper. And as you go deeper, you will find the deep felt needs. This particular guy, Peter, his deal wasn't that he was so sad about his father abandoning the family when he was 12. He was sad about the corrosive nature of the bitterness he had towards his father, and he didn't know how to get out of that. Well, now I know how to share the gospel at a place where it's going to connect with deep felt need, where God's already tugging in his heart. And if I share at that point, it makes a connection. Um, I, I was coming back from, from uh, Bratislava, Slovakia a few years ago. I had been over there giving lectures on C.S. Lewis during our spring break. On my way back, the people had dropped me off at the Vienna airport. It's only about 45 minutes from Bratislava. And I got through, checked in at the gate, uh, got to the, uh, checked in at the counter, go through passport control, get to the gate, and find out the plane's been delayed about three hours. I love the anonymity of airports. I love to sit there and read a book and so on. A few minutes later, this woman comes walking into the gate area. She has a lanyard, she has a clipboard, and she's going up and speaking German, right? It's a German-speaking city to these different people there. I figure she's doing a survey for the airport, and sure enough, a few minutes later, she comes over, and she speaks to me in flawless English, and I'm going, what am I wearing that she knew that I was uh, an English-speaking person? A friend of mine one time said, didn't you say you were reading a book? I said, yeah. She said, probably saw it was English. (laughs) Duh. So anyway, um, she says she's doing a survey for the airport. I say, what's your name? Public question, Allegra. I said, Allegra, are you from Vienna? No, I grew up in southern Austria. Really? So what brought you to Vienna initially? I'm a student. Now I've got all kinds of questions I could ask. A student where? University of Vienna. What are you studying? Anthropology. And on that went for a while. I said, do you still have family in southern Austria? Only my father, and he's a bitter man. Wow, she doesn't have to tell me that. What's he bitter about? My mother left him to go with her lover to Canada. And she had good reason to leave him. He's such a toxic person. So, wow, your family's sort of splintered. Are those the only family members? Yes, I have a brother. He's also at the University of Vienna, but we don't get along very well either. And it's way worse than that. Oh, How's it worse than that? She's giving me this information, but I think she's sensing in me that I'm genuinely interested in her as a human being, which I'm hoping at some level is modeling the fact that God is intimately interested in her. She says, it's worse than that because my boyfriend said he was going to go study art in Florence and for me to wait for him, he would be gone six months. He came back yesterday only to tell me that he found somebody better in Florence. I know where the deep felt need is in this woman. 
She wants a love that won't let her go. She wants a love that's going to be constant, that won't abandon. So at that point in the conversation, I said, Allegra, listen, you've got to do your survey. And it's 20 minutes into the conversation. She hasn't asked me a question yet. I said, Allegra, you have to do your survey, but I have been sent here to tell you something. Then she thought I was a plan at the airport to see if she was doing her job right. (laughs) I said, no, it has nothing to do with that. I've been sent here to tell you something, but finish your survey first. She goes through all the questions, how long it take me to check in, get through passport control, all the things you'd expect. And then she says to me, what were you sent here to tell me? I said, Allegra, the God of the universe knows you. He knows you and he loves you. I said it again, Allegra, he loves you. Sometimes it takes three times to really set in. I said, Allegra, he loves you. She burst into loud sobs. The people are looking at me like I'm torturing this poor woman. (laughs) And while she's crying, she says to me, but I've done so many bad things with my life. I said, oh, Allegra, he knows about every one. And that's why Jesus came to die, to forgive you of that. It gets Velcroed to the place where God's already tugging at the heart. We go ask questions to find out where he's working, and then we speak explicitly to the places where he's already working implicitly. It's not that hard. It's just a matter of going and loving on people the way God loved on us. So let's look at some practical things because we'll grow. People ask us questions. We'll grow. People scrutinize our life. We'll grow because we'll get to know God better in his workplace. But let's look at some practical things. Where do you begin? I think you begin with prayer. Jesus even said there are laborers in the harvest. Start praying God will raise up laborers in the harvest. My guess is if you're praying that, you'll find yourself inclined that way pretty quick. Take 10 people in your life that you see regularly. One of the people I pray for regularly is Mark. He's the checkout clerk at the Walgreens where I shop with some frequency. And I see him there. And he's on my prayer list. I have students at Wheaton. They say they want to do Muslim evangelism. I say, that's great. Where do you buy your gas? I say, do you pay at the pump or do you go in? Because many of the gas stations where we are are run by Pakistanis. And most of them are Muslims. I say, go in, get to know their names. Matter of fact, take them cookies. They'll never forget your name if you start taking them cookies. And, and start to get to know the people who are not beyond your sphere of influence, but in your world where you live your life every day. So anyway, just pray. Pray for those people. And watch for the opportunities when they come up and incline towards them as they come up. You, there may, may be a little fearful for you, if, you, if you're not used to doing this, I, I, I need to say, I don't think any of us are very life-skilled. I don't think anybody's ever ready to get married. If you waited till you were, you'd lose out on all those joys. I don't think anybody's ever ready to have children. If you waited till you were ready, we would never celebrate Mother's Day again. <laughs> the whole human race would end this generation. I, I think a toddler learning to walk falls down and gets bruised, right? They're awkward. Uh, A a six-year-old, five-year-old taking the training wheels off the two-wheeler falls down and gets abrasions. Uh, 
adolescent picking up a skateboard for the first time, trying to ollie or take on a half pipe, gets a sprained ankle or a broken wrist or something. All of us are awkward to some degree. As a matter of fact, if you're not awkward someplace in your life, you're just not growing. Don't be afraid of awkwardness. Incline towards it. That's a process towards maturation in any given area of life. So anyway, pray for the people. And as you see things percolate in the conversation, as you meet with these people who are in your world, don't be afraid to ask, especially if something percolates and it shows some spiritual interest on their part. Are you a spiritual person? Tell me about that. Matter of fact, maybe you have a friend, you've known them for years and you've never talked about spiritual things. You can tell whether they're a Cubs fan or a Sox fan. You can tell where they went for a vacation because you know them. You know the names of their children and you've never talked to them about spiritual things. You can say to them, you know, I realize, I know you well, but there's a whole area of life I've never talked with you about. And that's your spiritual life. And I think people are psychological, sociological, and also spiritual. Do you think sometime we could talk about that? I'd love to hear your story. And don't take them up on it right then. Just say, do you think sometime we could do this? Campus Crusade for Christ says 95% of the people that are asked that question will say yes. And then you say to them, yeah, so sometime let's talk about that. Next time you see them, small talk. Next time you see them, say, hey, remember when we said sometime we're going to talk about this? I'm curious I'll get out. I want to hear about that. How about we go to breakfast next Saturday and tell me your story? They usually will reciprocate and say, tell me yours. And you have a great opportunity to finally bring into that friendship a conversation that's dear to you and might be more important to them than you realize. So anyway, you're praying. Prayer itself can be an entry for the gospel. I'll give you an example. Years ago, I lived in Santa Barbara, California. If you believe in Jesus, when you die, you go to Santa Barbara, I think. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I, I was there, and, and I would do working lunches four, four uh, days a week. And I'd always go to the same restaurant. You can get tired of the food, but I'm not there just for the food. I want to plant Christ's flag in my world. And so I got to know the guy who owned the restaurant. His name was Brad. He had been a former NFL football player, big, huge, strapping guy. And every day when I was there, I started praying for him right off the bat. Every day when I was there, I'd have small talk with Brad. Hey, Brad, I love the mahi-mahi sandwich. I hope you keep it on the menu. Hey, Brad, how's business? Hey, Brad, did you catch a game the other night? And we'd have small talk four days a week. Three weeks pass, and I said to him, you know what, Brad? I pray for you every day. I've never said that to a person and had them respond back, well, would you stop it? (laughs) Most people are happy somebody's praying for them. And then I went back to just small talk every time I saw him. And three weeks later, I said to him again, you know, Brad, I pray for you every day. He said, you said that a few weeks back. I didn't really believe you. But you're saying it again. You must be doing it. I said, I am. He said, Jerry, would you pray for my boys too? I wrote down the names of his boys. That night I went home and said to my family, Brad asked me to pray for his boys. My daughter Alicia said, Dad, I know his one son, he goes to my school. I wish you could have been there five months later when Alicia came running home from youth group saying, Dad, one of the boys brought Brad's son to youth group and he gave his heart to Jesus tonight. My kids know God answers these prayers. And that's the way it went for months with Brad. One day he came up to me, I was meeting with some businessmen, and he said to me, Jerry, 
I need to talk to you after lunch. He was a big guy. How do you say no? I call my secretary, cancel my appointments for the afternoon. We go down to a coffee shop, and for three hours, he pours out to me all the things that are falling apart in his life. Why? The deepest we ever got was I told him I was praying for him. Now, by the way, he wasn't the only one I was doing this with. There's about eight or ten people in my life. And if you have eight or ten people like this, they might percolate at different times. Three hours through tears telling me how his life is unraveling. At the end of three hours, I said, Brad, I think you need Jesus in your life. And I shared the gospel with him. It maybe took three or four minutes. He said, you know what, Jerry, I think I need Jesus too. But I don't want to give him my life like it is now. I want to fix it first and I'll give it to him. I said, okay, Brad, you could try it. It's not usually the way it's done. You can try it that way. If that doesn't work for you, then let me know and and." We can enter, see how he wants to enter in and fix it inside out. Well, it went on like that then too, th- every three weeks, telling him I was praying for him. About five months later, he calls me up and says, Jerry, my way's not working. And he came to my office. I never saw anybody use more Kleenex than that former all-pro NFL football player used when he came to Jesus. And it says nothing in this book that you have to use Kleenex. And he gave his heart to Jesus. I got him a Bible. We started doing some follow-up stuff. You know what? About six years ago, Brad dropped dead of a heart attack. You want to know something else? One day, I'm going to introduce you to him because this stuff matters, and it matters forever. It's cool, isn't it? I think there are people in your world that you're connected with, and maybe you don't see them. I was at home one day. I used to have Fridays off. And I was sitting at home and I said, Lord, there are people on your radar screen who aren't on mine yet. Open my eyes and help me to see. And just then the garbage guy pulled up. I go, wow. I don't even know his name. I don't have to go looking for him. He comes to my house every week. So I wrote down in my prayer list, garbage guy. (laughs) I was praying for him all that next week. He came by usually Fridays at about 10 o'clock. It was a hot part of the year. So I had a glass of iced tea all ready for him. The next week he pulls up. It was one of those trucks where they have to walk around the back and throw the trash in the basket in the back. And he comes walking around. I had rushed out there right when he pulled up, and he didn't know I was there. He comes around, surprised to see me. And I said, you look like you could use a break. Here, you drink the iced tea, I'll throw the trash. And I see this guy out of the corner of my eye going. (laughs) Takes a little taste to sip, you know, making sure it's not going to kill him or anything. And I said, what's your name? He said, Mike. He has a name, people. I erased garbage guy, and I wrote Mike in my prayer list. And every week after that, I was out there at 10 o'clock with something cold for him to drink at the hot part of the year, something hot for him to drink at the cold part of the year. He kind of liked me. My kids were young then, and I, I remember him saying, Jerry, I found this perfectly good toy in the trash, and I know you have those young kids. Maybe your kids would like it. I, I was happy. I mean, we, we had a relationship, this garbage guy and me. One day he came by about noon. I said, Mike, you're, you're a bit late today. He said, yeah, I had troubles on my route. Put me back. I said, well, have you eaten lunch? It's about lunchtime. He said, no. I said, you want to come on in? I'll make you a sandwich. He said, okay. I didn't know those guys could do that. He came in. I made him a sandwich. <laughs> he changed his whole route after that, and he came by every week at noon on Fridays, and we had lunch together every week. It was at that time I was able to share with him the gospel. 
You know what his story was? When he was about eight years old, there was a neighbor lady who loved the kids in that neighborhood, and she had a backyard Bible club, and the kids came over, and she shared the gospel with them at the end of that week, and he trusted Christ. He remembered praying the prayer. And then two weeks later, his family moved away, and nobody ever followed him up. I wonder how many Christians he passed by that nobody ever followed him up. And I had the privilege of doing that. We got Bible for him, and we would have follow-up stuff when we'd meet every week, going through Bible studies. Eventually, he started going back to church, and he started taking his wife. It wasn't long after that that his wife and his kids came to faith. And I got a new garbage guy eventually. He got traded all throughout, and I had a new guy named Mick, and I was able to share Jesus with Mick. And then there was Steve. Steve was my mailman. He actually came to my house every day. I didn't have to go looking for him. I don't know about you, but when I'm home and the mailman's there, I always say, do you need to use a toilet? I don't know what those guys do when they're on their route. (laughs) Just a simple human act of kindness opens up doors. And eventually Steve came to faith. I said, Steve, you got to come to church. Come to church with us and and we'll have dinner afterwards. He said, Jerry, I I, I don't think I can because I'm, I'm divorced. I have my kids on the weekends. I said, bring your kids. Our church has great things for kids. They'll love it. So he came and he brought his kids. And I remember after lunch, leading his two sons to Jesus. These people are all around us. They're hungry and they want to know. And we don't have to go far to find them. Doesn't always go well. Sometimes, if you're you're afraid of striking out, don't play baseball. But if you don't play baseball, you'll never know the joy of hitting a home run. Sometimes it doesn't go well because I don't do well. And I get to learn from that experience and go ask forgiveness of the person. Maybe if I came on a little bit too strong or maybe said something that was offensive. I don't mean to be offensive. I can learn from those things. Sometimes it doesn't go well. But sometimes we find out it doesn't go well because we don't realize where we are in the process. If you feel the prompt of the Holy Spirit to share Christ with somebody, share Christ with them gently, kindly. And you don't know where you are in the process. So my wife and I have a dear friend. Her name's Susan Fullerton. Susan's a medical doctor, and she trained at University of Illinois. Now, she was voted to be the chief resident among the other residents. Very, very bright woman. And there was a guy that she beat out for that position who was an atheist and obnoxious about spiritual things. And he was always trying to argue with her about spiritual things and so on. One day he came to work and he went right to her and he said to her, Susan, do you think Jesus could ever really love me? And she was able to share the whole gospel with him. He didn't trust Christ, but she said she never saw him more open to hear than that day. And then she said to him, what happened after all this pushback that I've gotten from you for months? How come today you were so tender about this? He said, well, I was on the L coming to work. And he said, there was a moody student. He called him a moody student. There was a moody student who was going around talking to people on the train. A moody student, dear hearted, who recognized that people need to know they're loved by God. He said, this moody student was going around talking to people, and I knew eventually he would get to me, and when he got to me, I was going to chew him up and spit him out. And sure enough, when he got to me, I just started demeaning him, belittling him, asking him questions he couldn't answer. And just then it was time for my stop, and after giving him an earful, 
I stepped off the train and I'm looking at him and just as the door closes, this guy says, all I wanted you to know was how much Jesus loves you. Door closes, train gone. And the moody student never heard the end of the story. But he went immediately to the one person he knew who knew Jesus and said, do you think Jesus could love me? You don't know where you are in the process. Somebody else higher up than we are, higher on the food chain, is engineering this thing. He wants to use us. We respond to the prompt, and we leave the results up to him. And when the person comes to Christ, you can start following them up, start meeting with them, helping them to grow. There's nothing more joyful than seeing the person you led to Christ go on and lead people to Jesus. If your pastors gave you a seating chart at this church, you'd all be furious. But look at you, you all sit in the same place every Sunday anyway. Be a pew pastor. You see somebody new who comes into the church and you've never met them before. And just say to them, you know, I, I haven't met you before. Are you new here? If they're new looking for a church, they'll feel warmly welcome. If they're here because they're looking for something to resolve the conflict in their heart and they think maybe they'll find something in church, they won't get away without you talking to them. I remember once leading a guy to Jesus after a church service. And I've done it several times, but this particular guy said, you know what? After he trusted Christ, I took him to John six forty seven. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Then I take him to John seventeen three, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, and thou sentence about a relationship with him. And then I take him to Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. And I say, do you understand what this is saying? He says, yeah. I said, which soil do you want to be? I've never had somebody say, I want to really shoot for the weedy one. You know, mediocrity is my goal in life. No, he, he said, I want to be the fruitful one. I say, so do I. How about if we start meeting together? That's one guy I have in mind. His name was Robert Malati. And we started meeting. Eventually, I took him out, sharing Christ with him. He saw it wasn't so hard. He led his roommate to Christ not long after that. And then he started following up his roommate. And it wasn't long before he came to me and he says, I'm moving away. And he moved to go back home to where his family lived because he wanted to share with them. He transferred into a different university. Uh, he went out of my life years later. I was teaching at Wheaton College. I was asked to come to Talbot Seminary and Biola University and do special services for them. That first morning, I was supposed to eat breakfast with a bunch of seminarians. I pull into the parking lot, and who's pulling into the parking lot right next to me? Robert Malati. I go, Robert, what are you doing here? You moved to San Diego. I moved to Chicago. Isn't it a coincidence that we're both here pulling in a parking lot in La Mirada, California? He says, it's no coincidence. I'm here to have breakfast with you. I said, Robert, I, I, I'm meeting with a bunch of seminarians. Wow. And God had so worked in his life that he was going into ministry and is in ministry this day. Is it cool or what? There are people in your world who want to hear. And God so loved them that he loved you enough to send you to them. Is that cool or what? It's a lot of fun. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, let your Holy Spirit have his way with each of us. Let us hear what we need to hear, each of us. So inform each person here with your deep love for them 
that they would never be intimidated by these things, but instead would see that they get to be an ambassador of your love and forgiveness to others. I pray, Father, that you'd make them aware of people in their own world. I pray that you would lay on their hearts those that they could pray for and that they would tell people they're praying for. I pray that they would grow, too, as they hear the questions, as their lives are scrutinized, but more importantly, as they see that they get to be in lockstep with your work in the world and that they will get to know you better. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.